welcome to the Anxiety Proof Her podcast, where amazing women come for education, inspiration, and hope around healing from anxiety. Each month, you're going to hear from other women who took control of their mental health by using outside-the-box holistic strategies to cope with their anxiety and to ultimately thrive. You will also learn from experts in the health and wellness industry about the tools they use every day to help their patients reclaim their well-being. We hope this information allows you to see that there are many different paths to healing. I'm your host, Jennifer Bronstick, and I'm a licensed clinical social worker and anxiety treatment professional. I help women and teen girls who struggle with anxiety, self-doubt, and perfectionism to tap into their innate resilience, get to the root of their fears, and implement custom healing strategies so that they can experience peace of mind, more self-confidence, and be liberated from the suffering that living with anxiety causes. I have lived with anxiety my whole life and know how hard it can be. I also know that there is hope and it's 100% treatable with the right information and support. Thank you so much for showing up for yourself and taking the first step to reclaiming your well-being and resilience. So welcome to the Anxiety Proof Her podcast. I am so excited to have Lily Potter here to share her really like outside the box wisdom um, because it's something that I haven't heard about before. So Lily is an inner mammal trainer. She's a holistic health coach. She's a mom and really uses health, wellness, and nutrition to support her clients to thrive in their life. And so I'm so excited to learn more about this tool because this is an inner mammal is something I've never heard of before. So I can't wait to hear your story and dive deeper into this. So welcome, Lily. Thank you so much for having me, Jen. Yes. Um, So tell me a little bit. Do do you have any experience with anxiety at any point in your life? Yeah. So when I was a child, I was very introverted, and I liked to be on my own. And the first, um, I guess, memory I have of feeling anxious and as an adult looking back, I can identify the behavior is I didn't want to go to school. And my parents ran a building company when I was really little, and my brother and sister both went to preschool, but I was so resistant that I remember my parents didn't even send me to preschool because I just, I guess I would cry, didn't want to go. And so I remember like being in the office while my parents worked, and then eventually I had to go to kindergarten. (laughs) Um, And I have a few memories from that, and I just, um, I did, I never wanted to go to school. I didn't like being there. I love to learn. I like to be at home. And um, obviously, I didn't have a choice at that point, so I had to go and deal with it. Um, and I did okay, you know, like over time, I met my best friends. And but then that transferred to uh, testing anxiety. So um, and I and here's the crazy thing: I didn't know. I couldn't use language to tell my parents. I didn't think I was scared. So like. Um, for example, I, one memory that sticks out was the first day of fourth grade, and I learned that I was going to be in fourth, fifth combination class, and I was like, oh my gosh, I have to be in there with the fifth graders, 
And before the first day of school, I didn't feel nervous. I was actually excited. I was like, oh, I'm going to wear this outfit and I can't wait. My best friend was in the class with me and I was really excited. And then, you know, the day progressed and I went to social studies and I was sitting in my chair and I just literally passed out (laughs) and fell on the floor and woke up drooling on myself. And my teacher had to pick me up and carry me to the principal's office. And I went home for the day. And so, I hope so. <laughs> on, but I was fine. Once I got home, I was totally fine. So no one knew that that was anxiety. No one knew how to talk to me about it. I didn't know about it. And um, this presented itself mostly in school situations. So I had many times where, like, I would pass out at school um, on a test day or a presentation day. Um, I got out of, like, on standardized testing days. I actually, in seventh grade, like, almost threw up all over my test paper and I had to leave and I had to retake the test. So like, but the crazy thing is I didn't feel nervous before. It just happened in like in the moment. So that yeah. was like, that's like my biggest experience. So like, um, I got, I guess like I really didn't like to present. I didn't like to do take tests. I didn't like to even be at school. I like to be at home. Um, but I wasn't like socially anxious. I had a, like a good friend group and that was the one thing that like stood out to me, but yeah. Um, What's that like vasovagal response? Yeah. You hear a lot of it um, with like gory stuff, like, you know, blood or medical you yeah. know, things happening. You know, people will see blood and they faint like that's that vasovagal. But it's so interesting. But they, you know, I, they made sure that like there was nothing like going on physically and all that, I hope. <laughs> The story was I was sensitive, right? Like, and I would get stomach aches a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, looking back, I think that there was, like, when it came to the stomach aches, I think that was not nervousness so much as, like, a dairy intolerance, which I learned later on that I had. But there were, like, two things going on. So I got, like, coded right. as, hey, she's the one in our family that throws up and passes out, right? Yeah. Um, she's She's got high knees. She's sensitive. Um Yeah. But as I got older, you know what that translated to is I didn't even, like, take the SATs. I didn't even want to go to college. I um, just didn't want to go through that process. But so after a year of um, not going to school, I took, like, that gap year. I wanted to go to school. And um, once it was my choice and I was older, that went away. All my testing anxiety went away, and it became fun for me. Um, It became a game. So, like, I I guess I read this test prep book, and it was like, this is, you have to learn the test. And I was like, oh, no one told me that. So once I had the knowledge, you have to learn how to take the test. It's a different, um, this isn't like a tool to measure if you're good or bad or whatever, because I was never a good test taker until I learned how to take tests, and then I was great. So then I I went to psychology. Yeah, but no one told me that. So, like, I would say, like, you know, and long story short, I don't want to take up too much time, but I got my degree in psychology and then my teaching license because I wanted to go in and, like, give children the tools to be empowered. Um, But I didn't really fit in with the education system still. I still really didn't like it. I didn't thrive in it as an educator. And um, then I stopped that job and became a mom. And um, about two years into having my son, I was getting antsy, um, and that's when I found health coaching and got my coaching certification and um, have been health coaching since 2015, and then I added on the inner mammal training um, once I discovered it because it spoke to me, and I'm more than happy to talk more about that because 
like you, I'd never heard of this before in all of my years of studying anything. Yeah. So. Degree in psychology, you know, mm-hmm. you'd think like other than Freud, right? <laughs> there's something else. Erickson, Skinner, like, the, like, the, how old are they? Like, we have nothing new going in our psych degrees. Um, yeah. I totally get that. Um, so that's so interesting. So was there, like, do you remember like a turning point for you? Like, was there like a moment that stands out where it was like okay, I'm over this. Like, I'm old enough now. Like, was it that book that you read? Well, well, as far as like my testing anxiety, that's when, when someone told me how to learn that, like, you have to learn how to take the test. That was like all I needed, honestly. Right. I just was missing information. Yeah. Um, and wow. so what I've learned later on going back, if I were to take my knowledge now and go back, it would be like, okay, of course, when we're missing information, that is anxiety producing because we do not know and our brains are designed to survive and perceive threats. And if we don't know how to conquer them, we stay in a state of anxiousness. So like for me personally, the second I know how to do something, I don't experience any type of fear, anxiety. I just know what to do. I know what the solution Mm -hmm. is. And then I, all of my energy and I focus on, on that and um, we can talk more about that, but I don't have like a massive turning point. It was when I was younger and now as an adult, I think I've gone through so much um, growth and, you know, therapy and self-study mm-hmm. and inner work that I really know how to work with my own personal fear system. And I have a lot of tools I use for that. Like I've went through a divorce and financial insecurity and I could have been in a spiral of, like fear and anxiousness, but I wasn't because I, I always use the tool of what do I know and what do I want? And I would always work towards that versus like what I was scared of. So, um, I have used these tools over time. Um, so yeah, I guess my answer for my personal experience is if I have a map and to follow, I'm fine. Love that. So it also sounds like, and correct me if I'm wrong, uh, but it sounds like your parents and siblings, like, they didn't coddle you either. Like, yeah. it really sounds like, because a lot of times with kids that are anxious, like, we want to tech, like, they're, like, weak little flowers. Like, we want to take care of them. It sounds like it was like, oh, you're just that kid. Like, keep on moving, kid. You know, which can, you know, you know, sometimes people feel like, oh, that's so mean. But, like, when we're dealing with anxiety, like, that's kind of how you treat it like it's to not you know coddle not baby and kind of helping you be like no like there's nothing wrong with you like this is just part of your life and we're going to keep living our life so I just you know I think that's really really important Um, and I want people to hear that especially parents yeah nobody I don't think anyone knew to identify it as that it was just like she's just you know bring the bag in the car she's gonna throw up and it wasn't motion sickness I didn't like to leave home um And it was like, we expect a phone call on the first day of school and every test day that Lily doesn't feel good. Uh And it was just like, it was just expected that I was going to do that. But yeah, Yeah. I mean, it definitely wasn't like given any extra attention, but it wasn't dismissed. My parents were never like, oh, whatever, don't feel what you're feeling or get over it. But there also Uh wasn't any extra attention given to it. So like, like, it was like, okay, you feel better. 
off you go. <laughs> right. Yeah. No, I think that that's, that's powerful. Like that has a big impact on, you know, what we believe about ourselves moving forward. And I also like, I appreciate the fact that there wasn't this like diagnosis because then once you slap that label on something, you know, it's that sort of that belief mindset that people can take on. So I just, I love that about your story. Um, so, okay. I want to know more, like what the heck is inner mammal training like I get we're animals like we give or mammals we give live birth and all of that but like how does that help with stress and anxiety yeah so this is the work of Dr. Loretta Bruning and she has lots of books Habits of a Happy Brain The Science of Positivity and one of her latest is um, titled Tame Your Anxiety um, and so this is her specific body of work. All the credit goes to her. And I went through her training and was certified by her to to speak about her work and teach it. So I just want to make sure credit is given where it is due. Um, so I the first book I read by her was um, Habits of a Happy Brain. And obviously the title is interesting because we all want to know how to make our brains happier. Um, and essentially what it is is you know uh working with our the way nature set us up to thrive our operating system in a state of nature so um you know it's very common in the health and wellness world i think to hear all of all this biohacking how to increase your oxytocin dopamine serotonin endorphin but it's um ways like to biohack those and increase them in a modern human world and the inner mammal approach really breaks goes back in time and, and asks how was our brain created why do we have these systems in place and how can we use them in a natural way and just a little side note my whole philosophy in my health and wellness practice is work with nature it's like we work with nature because that's what we are and the more we know how to work with the most basic level of nature including how our brains were created to thrive we're going to have less resistance and have more success in what we want so what dr loretta burning did was she was a um a professor of business management for her majority of her career she traveled the world and she's got to see all these different cultures and she noted during this process that everyone thinks the grass is greener on the other side. Every culture has the answer to happiness. And when she got into the culture, she realized that, no, there are struggles here, too. The same struggles, social struggles, happiness struggles, everything. And then they would look on the outside and go, oh, the grass is greener over here. And within the, you know, um, psychology and all of the resources she was um, looking at, she couldn't find the right answer. She's like, why is this? So, when she retired, she decided she was going to go after these answers, and she started studying more um, animals like primates and herd animals because obviously we're mammals too. And so what she found was an entire, you know, canon of research that had been suppressed because it didn't go along with the human um, popular opinion on how happiness, we get to happiness and reduce yeah, stress. stress. So <laughs> the, the body of research was there, right, showing that, all mammals are have social hierarchies. Well, as humans don't like to admit that. And so um, she started looking at how all of the happy chemicals are released in a state of nature. And there's a lot of research um, done on humans and other animals. And it's just not like the primary academic 
um, understanding, like accepted understanding, because it's very inconvenient. It's not politically correct. That's where it came from. And so she's, you know, gone over extensive bodies of research and written all of these books. And the premise is in a state of nature, these happy chemicals are released for very specific reasons to promote the survival of our genes. And oftentimes we're not getting these happy chemicals because we're not doing what we were designed to do. We're living against nature. So we're experiencing higher levels of stress and anxiety. Because our brains are, you know, wired to survive, to look for threat, as we all know, and Mm -hmm. um, prevent them from happening, which is what anxiety kind of is, is, you know, looking into the future and thinking of all the threats and then having that cortisol pathway activated. Um, So once you have this knowledge and you know how to turn on these chemicals in a state of nature and reduce um, unnecessary stress and anxiety, a little bit's going to happen in life, right? Um, then you've got the power to build new neural pathways to wiring to be, you know, like has been reinforced to be anxious and to be stressed. Like when you were talking. Say say that again. Yeah, yeah, Um, it went up for a second. So just can you repeat that? And I'll um, edit this part. So just about the neural pathways. So yeah, yeah. On boosting these happy chemicals, you naturally reduce the stress and anxiety because you're building neural pathways towards um, growth. Um, And you're not reinforcing your old pathways of anxiousness and stress that were built in your youth that had been reinforced. So really as adults, we have to go back and we've got this operating system that's built, right? Once you've got your neural pathways in and they're myelinated, they're there, you can't take them out, we can't erase them. So then it becomes a process of um, picking new behaviors Mm -hmm. to add in so you can redirect the electricity down those routes. And I may have gotten a little ahead of, like, how to do that. So if you want some clarification. Yeah. um, So, like, so let's take an example now. So teenagers that I'm seeing are having a really hard time. Um, because their lives have been, you know, flipped upside down and they don't have access to the social groups that they used to. Um, so how can a, you know, a teen who's kind of isolated, you know, begin to understand from this perspective so that they can begin to create those new, you know, energies, electricities in their brain to help them rewire towards this more happy state. Cause you know, people, and while like the goal is never happiness, it's fulfillment and mindfulness and presence and all of that. Like, let's be honest, like we all like to feel happy sometimes, you know, and we certainly don't want to feel sad all the time. Um, so is there like a starting point? Like, and then I, I said a teenager cause they're also like have a hard time doing things also. So something simple would be great. <laughs> so before I tell you something simple, you said a sure. few things that are really important. One, we all like happiness and we want to feel it. That's because nature gave us happy chemicals for the specific reason to reward survival efforts. Super quick example. Dopamine is only released when we are in pursuit of a reward. A long time ago, that reward was almost always a food or a mate. 
So when you see the mango, for example, like a monkey sees the mango in the tree, the dopamine squirts. It feels good. You feel happy. If he, if that dopamine didn't go out, they might just sit there and not be motivated to get the mango or mm -hmm. the mate. Or now in our modern lives, it could be any reward we're tracing. It feels good because when you get that, you survive. Like, super simple. That's why we have that reward system, and we can't forget it. Like, we didn't have it to, like, buy shoes, right? It works for that. That's called, like, a mod. That's like a modern biohack to dopamine. Like, shopping mm -hmm. addiction is a great example. Totally. Serotonin, for example, um, is released when you are able to meet your needs in a group, as in you get access to resources. In all animal herds, mammal herds, there's a hierarchy, and the people at the top get resources first, period, in the story. And we have that operating system, and we know it to a degree. We're always chasing status some way. If you know that you're low, you do not get as much serotonin, and you don't feel as good. So you've got to find a way to feel good in whatever group, whatever you make meaning to. The cool thing about our brains that are different from, like, say, a monkey or an elephant is that we can use our frontal prefrontal lobe to say, okay, well, I love knitting. I can be the top in my knitting circle. Like, it doesn't have to be, like, I have a shiny car in this big house. It can be however you define your status, and then you can work towards that. So all these are going to help. This is how you you have to know how they work in order to create your plan, right? Mm -hmm. um, so oxytocin, the bonding hormone, obviously you can see how that promotes survival because if you leave the group, you die. <laughs> um, and it is there to reward you for staying, even though it can be hard to stay. You're competing, right? You can see how you're competing in your herd to have, like, you know, status. But mm -hmm. if you leave to go find something else, you're like so they can kind of war with each other a little bit you have to make choices like it's never yeah. easy to make these choices so like but oxytocin was released for that purpose you know there's no, mm -hmm. there, it's not just randomly out there to make you feel fuzzy and warm and then endorphin is only released usually in a state of nature when you're in physical pain and it's so you can get away to survive right so like if you've been injured in a fight you've got 20 minutes of not feeling the pain to get away Mm. Then the pain comes on. In our modern world, people may run like crazy until they hit pain. So endorphin's not the safest one. You you don't want to like play with that one too much. But laughing can help. Just any kind of and stretching can bring that on. So that's how those work. And then anxiety and stress is when the cortisol is released. And cortisol is like, hey, pay attention right now. Mm -hmm. And you may have physical reactions. So. You want to make friends with the cortisol, but you don't want it unnecessarily. So if it's released in a state of anxiety and there's actually no real threat, you actually just don't want to give it attention. You want to divert to whatever boosts your happy chemical, then you're diverting mm -hmm. into a new neural pathway to build and grow. Mm -hmm. So applied to like a teenager at home right now who's going through uh, a lot of pain and suffering due to COVID and what's happening around that. Um, it would help them to know how this works. One, I mean, always the first step is like understand how you work. It can mm -hmm. relieve so much. It's kind of like when I knew how to take a test, my anxiety went away. When you know how your brain works, you can stop thinking there's something wrong with you. Totally. And then you can actually make a plan. You can go, wow, okay, so maybe I'm not feeling good because, I don't have enough dopamine. I'm not working on anything rewarding for me. And then you can pick your thing that is rewarding to you, like whatever your skill or craft is. Um, 
And there's a lot that can stimulate dopamine, putting puzzles together, playing music, you know, anytime you're completing a project. That's why I like puzzles. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Puzzles are like dopamine. I love them, too. Wow, cool. Hunting and finding things, like hunting for shells on a beach is another great example. Mm. Like anytime you're seeking and finding dopamine, coloring, because you're like, anytime you see something completed. Finished, yeah. Dopamine is a really easy one because it's easy for us to come up with examples, you know, like mm-hmm. you want to bake a cake. Well, from start to finish, once the cake is out, you've got a dopamine rush like it. Right. So asking these kids to find something that that they can do in one day from begin like to complete, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. um, and see and get that squirt. It's got to be relevant to them. Um, in regards to the social stuff, I mean, just being aware that it does matter to them where they stand in their social group. Mm-hmm. Like it's okay to like, you know, not minimizing like how important that is, especially for teenagers. Their brains at this time is wired to um, social hierarchy is very important to them mm-hmm. um, because traditionally and, you know, hundreds and more well, thousands of years ago, that's when a human would leave their group and join another group and they needed to find their place. So it's very important to them. Yeah. So helping them understand, you know, maybe they're feeling, you know, down because they're low on the hierarchy and how can they find their niche and acknowledge that they need to be good at something so they can feel good about themselves. It's Mm -hmm. not about like, you know, these petty hierarchy things, but it does exist. It's real. Um, For sure. Yeah. Yeah. And then oxytocin, it's hard because we need connection, but they need to, but encouraging as much social connection as possible because like, for example, like when you're in a Zoom call and you can see someone's eyes, you can co-regulate your nervous systems Mm. and it's important to have as much contact as possible. And if it's safe, like outdoor gatherings, six feet apart, where you can be like you throw a ball, like anything, or like connecting with a pet mm-hmm. can boost oxytocin. So yes. just knowing how these work and sitting down and making yourself a plan. And then every time you kind of like feel down or upset or anxious and there's no real threat, you can't do anything about it, then you know that that's time to like, distract yourself while boosting these other happy chemicals and that's how you're going to build the neural pathways to get more of them and it's mm-hmm. in the way nature designed you to get them um and the other thing that's good to know is that cortisol has a half-life of 20 minutes so you can set a timer you can say oh my anxiousness got triggered set the timer go to mm-hmm. your list pick something to do maybe it's a puzzle maybe it's watching comedy while you stretch because mm-hmm. that would boost um oxytocin endorphin from laughing and stretching so like just creating these plans it's helpful. yeah I mean it's helpful for all of us right definitely because in times when we have a stressful event or something that's giving us anxiousness and it's a real problem I don't know anyone that that doesn't rise to the occasion to solve it like absolutely yes no like like it's same time like we're solving the problem it's when Mm -hmm. there isn't an immediate threat to solve that it can just persist and drive us nuts so having that distraction list is the most important thing and knowing how the system works yeah no I love that um so I was looking through your website which is beautiful by the way and I'll put that link in our show notes um and you know you were talking a lot about 
like how, you know, it's not that like we're never avoiding stress. And I think that that because I relate to that with anxiety, like we're not like it's kind of the same thing. And the more we're like trying to push it away, push it away, push it away, like it's not helping us. Um, So can you just talk about the tend and befriend a little bit aspect of, you know, how you work with stress? Yeah, so there's more than one stress response, and the one that gets all of the publicity is the fight, flight, freeze, and mm-hmm. that's the one that's like, you know, a serious situation that, you know, um, gets triggered. We've got to save someone from a car accident. You know, our child is about to fall off of a jungle gym, and we rush to save them. Like, that's like, most of us are not in that state of stress daily. You know, we're under some sort of, like, chronic level of pressure, but it's not the same as that. So when everyone talks about that stress response and how it's destroying your body, it's just inaccurate is what I would say. So there are two other biological stress responses. One is the tendon befriend, and that is the um, when a stressor occurs, we seek support. Um, men, women commonly do this, but men do it as well. And when we do that, we get, you know, um, other hormones and stress hormones released, they're protective. So it's a protective stress response. So if you're someone who gets stressed out and you call your friend, you're an attendant and befriend response. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's very helpful, you know, to come together into a group when something is stressing us out. Um, Then there's the challenge response, which is the one I didn't know about taking tests that can feel like anxiousness, like you're about to throw up because you're scared or you're about to speak in front of people. But if you know that you're in that response, you can use it to your advantage. So you actually release DHEA during that and other things that help you use your memory better. You have a sharp, like, so if you're not fighting it, if you're not scared of it and you go, I recognize that this is here to help me, you can use it to your advantage. It's not hurtful to the body. Honestly, fight, flight, freeze in studies is not bad for your body either. You also release oxytocin and other hormones during that response to protect you. Mm. It's when they persist constantly for like three to six months. Um, So that whole conversation around stress will kill you. It's not inaccurate, but it's also not the whole truth. And so when that's the only message people are receiving, they become scared of stress. Right. And then they don't know how to use tendon befriend. They don't know how to use the challenge response. They don't know how to recover and they don't know how to not be scared of it. And that like anxiousness about stress is a problem because you're just stacking misery on top of itself. Whereas if you know how these biological responses work, once again, it's like the inner mammal stuff. The more you know, the more you can understand yourself and work with your own operating system. So um, those are the three different biological stress responses that are known and documented. I'm sure there's more because we're way more complicated than. Yeah, I've I've learned um, with like the, you know, the vagal system. It's like you have the ventral vagal, which is like the connection and then. Um, the sympathetic states, which is like the fight, flight, all of that. And then the dorsal vagal, which is like shut down, like complete, yeah. like play dead. Um, so there's all these different responses. And it's funny that, you know, 
both of us, while there are so many responses, both of us had that same thing in school. Like I was constantly like stomach aches, like chasing after my parents, like did not want to go to school. Um, You know, I went, but it was, you know, I was not happy about it. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's interesting that, you know, ours as a child, you know, kind of manifested, you know, in that way. Um, So I always like to ask, what is a message of hope that you would want people to hear who are listening? Well, that if you work with nature, you will reach a state of harmony. And that harmony is, um, I think, our birthright. So we were not born to suffer all the time. We have a system in place to save us. But if you overfeed that system, you're going to be miserable. And if you understand how these systems work, you can feed the other side. You can boost the happiness and contentment and fulfillment. Um, and that knowledge is power. And the more you know and the more you study yourself, the more uh, mastery you can get over yourself because we're all different, right? So um, I just think that we – deserve to feel that sense of harmony that we're, we're here to feel with ourselves and nature. I mean, we are a piece of nature. So that's always what I come back to. Yeah, so. I love that. Thank you. Thank you so much for being here and sharing this wisdom. Um, it's fascinating and also makes so much sense. You know, it's really like, it's so funny how, you know, healing is actually pretty simple when you just have the right information for you. And, you know, and and it's unique to everybody, you know, not everyone resonates with certain ideas. So it's, I hope if you're listening, like give it a shot, try something, make that list of, you know, the dopamine activities. Um, I have a puzzle on my table right now. (laughs) So I'm going to go head up my, my puzzle table. Um, But thanks for being here and thanks for listening in everyone. Thank you so much for taking the time to invest in your well-being. I hope you learned at least one new idea or technique that you might want to implement into your own life. Remember, you're not alone. There is hope. And with the right information and support, you can thrive. If you're dealing with panic or looking for a step-by-step process that will allow you to break free from this crippling fear state, I want to invite you to check out my Panic Attack Survival Guide. You can grab your free copy at www.jenniferbronsnick.com. Thanks for listening.